Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to the Super Travel Experience Podcast. Welcome, I'm your host, Mark, and it's another beautiful day, another beautiful night. It's episode 14 on September 14th, 2019, and it's a full moon tonight. Yesterday was Friday the 13th, which was which is really cool. We got Friday the 13th on Friday, and then we got a full moon here today on Saturday on September 14th for episode 14. We'll call this lucky number 14 as well, going with our lucky 13. Today, I'm going to talk about a couple things. First one is the dark triad, the psychological uh, personality test. And then after that, we'll go into Cambodia, but specifically Sien Reap and Angkor with Angkor Wat, Bayon, and Top, I think it's Top Prom, uh, the ruins there. There's a lot of different ruins, like, I go. Tons, tons. You'll, you'll see. Watch when I start reading them. I only visited three main ones, but the area is like five miles wide by two and a half miles wide by five mi- by five miles, something like that. It's like twelve kilometers, or that's what the sign said of an area. It's it's huge. It's huge. You could spend you spend many days there, probably probably weeks if you wanted to to see everything. It's so intricate and detailed. But all right, before we get to that. Let's go into the dark triad. Oh, and uh, stay tuned. The next, uh, probably the next week or two, I have a special announcement. Hi, Lucy. Lucy, my cat, just she just plopped down on my lap. Okay, hello. I'll pet you. All right. And uh, yeah, I've known Lucy for oh, probably nine years, right, girl? Yeah, she says about nine years. So I met her nine years ago. Actually, she found me. I heard her outside as a kitten crying outside my old apartment in Long Beach. And uh, I went outside. I heard her crying and our eyes met and that was it. I uh, I adopted her and took care of her ever since. And uh, yeah, she's been a great girl and a great, uh, great friend. Yeah, nothing like a pet. You know, I like cats and dogs. You know, it just depends on their personality. Mostly cats because cats are easy to take care of and like they're not loud. The, the, the dogs barking drive me nuts. If if you get a a, a barker that's a dog, uh, with cats they don't they're not so loud, but they can be. You know, uh, <laughs> can be a pain sometimes. But they're easy to take care of, especially if you travel. You can leave them alone up to a few days. You know, leave them food and cat litter, <clears throat> cat box, and they'll be fine. But you know, you get a good dog too, though, and uh, dogs are good too in in their own in their own way. So it just really depends on their personality. And, you know, a lot of times just you don't really choose the animal. Fate kind of chooses it for you. And that's that's how Lucy was. I, so it was, it's really nice to uh, to have her. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> we're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, we're going to get to the dark triad. That's it. But first, a couple, uh, why, why do we want to know the dark triad? Why do we want to uh, mo- uh, know more about ourselves? Why do we... Why is it important? Like, who cares? You know, what's the big deal? So <clears throat> there's a couple, a few quotes, which is really cool. And it ties into traveling and history. And so uh, there's a quote that says, Knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. That was Lao Tzu. Born 545 to 470 BC. 
I wrote, made a little note. He was uh, about 75 years old when he died. So, and then <clears throat> the other one is know yourself and you will win all battles. That's Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War. And you know Lao Tzu that said that mastering yourself is true power? He is the founder of Taoism, and he was born, uh, yeah, he, he was the one born 601 B.C. to 531 B.C., excuse me. And then Sun Tzu was born 545 to 470 B.C. But uh, Lao Tzu, he was the Tao Te Ching author. It's a famous, famous book uh, about Taoism. And then, all right, from those two, that's pretty cool. And then we got a couple more. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Who said that? Anybody? Aristotle. And then another one, this one's pretty, pretty good. Know thyself. Socrates. So Socrates was alive from 470 to 399 B.C., and who was his student? Plato. Plato lived 429 to 348 BC. Who was Plato's uh, ment uh, student? Aristotle, who lived from 384 BC to 322 BC. And, you know, after Plato died, Aristotle left Athens to tutor who? Alexander the Great in 343 BC. That's right. That's cool. Alexander the Great is regarded as one of the most influential uh, in history, one of the greatest commanders that ever lived. And he was, what was he, about 31 when he, 33 when he died. And he's never lost a battle. So it was about 20 battles and he never lost. He was born in Pella, uh, northern Greece. And one of history's most successful military command commanders. He was also, I was in Egypt and I was in the, the history museum there. Uh, you know, so basically the pyramids and the sphinx and all the, the buildings in, in, in the, that area, the, all the stuff in there was moved to the museum. So if you want to see everything that was in the pyramids and the sphinx and everything there, you go to the museum and that's where you could see tons and tons and tons of stuff uh, but I saw a list of all the pharaohs of Egypt and one of the names was Alexander the Great he was pharaoh of Egypt from 332 to 323 BC so that was pretty amazing and he invaded Persia in 334 BC and overthrew King Darius the Persian uh, he also invaded India in 326 BC. When I was in India, northern, northern India by uh, Delhi, I was like, oh man, Alexander the Great came by here. I, I can imagine what, what they were thinking with the, the different people and the animals and just the battles. They had to fight war elephants and just, that's crazy. And uh, he, he would have kept going and maybe kept conquering, but his people got tired of of uh, fighting for years and years and years and so they got homesick and apparently wanted to go back home so that was the end of that and uh, there's tons of cities named after alexander the great i want to say oh it says 20 i took a note 20 cities he founded with his name alexandria and uh, i know alexandria in egypt and all the other places but yeah it's pretty cool it's a little uh, little history lesson all the greats and why it's important to know yourself. So, you know, if when I was younger, I wish 
I wish I would have took this dark triad test. I wish I would have knew a lot more about myself. I had no clue. And this is one of the reasons why I didn't, I didn't have a great uh, experience as a childhood and why, why many people don't either. It's because we don't know how to uh, control and master ourselves, especially our emotions. That's, that's, that's huge. We're, we're hugely emo- huge emotional, hugely emotional creatures, not huge emotional creatures. I guess an elephant's a huge emotional creature, but, but humans are, we're hugely uh, emotional. Um, So yeah, I wish I would have known this when I was younger, how to, how to control my emotions, how to express myself, how to communicate effectively, all this stuff that, that I wish I would have known. Like if, if I go back and I'm like, all right, what would I, I tell my 20 year old self back in the day, I would, Oh gosh, I would tell him also. I'd tell him to go learn how to speak, learn how to uh, uh, think correctly, because the thinking uh, is totally linked to emotions, and and not to take things so serious, and just all sorts of. There's there's these little tools, you know, like I talked about in the very first episode, how you could change your emotional state in an instant by changing three things: your focus, your physiology, and the words you tell yourself. So you you change those three things in an instant. I mean, just like that. You could change your state from happy to sad, boom. From sad to happy, boom. It's it's that easy. But I mean, the harder part is keeping that state. So keeping, uh, once you change from that sad to happy state, so keeping that happy state is the hard part. But that's where focus comes in. So I was thinking, how would, how would I, I teach someone, you know, uh, how to deal, how to, how to focus? So I was thinking when I when I learned meditation uh, and, and breathing exercises, what I would do is I would stare at a candle and focus on a candle. A lot of times uh, right now, people are we're looking at our phone. We got like borderline, everyone's got borderline ADD. We're like, da, 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 looking this, 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 this. We can't pay attention for more than like a few seconds. I think that's the average person can't pay attention more than like a few seconds. I think a goldfish has more attention span than we do. But that's, <laughs> I just heard that somewhere. But that's what I would, that's part of it right there. Exactly. Learn how to focus. You stare at a candle and that's, that'll teach you how to focus right there and you know, you listen to your breathing, focus on your breathing, watch the flame dance. And that's how I learned uh, when I taught myself meditation by reading all these books and, you know, uh, learning about uh, all these uh, yoga uh, techniques, uh, Kriya yoga that I used to do and, and all that. And it was really, really helpful and uh, really helped me. All right. So that's that. And uh, let's get to the the dark triad test so you could take this test online um you just google dark triad personality test i took the first one and mine's pretty good i I think when i was younger and when i was in the military i I believe it was it was higher definitely higher but that's kind of needed you have to you have to be a little psychopathic to be in the military and uh yeah (laughs) apparently uh yeah that's a that's a good uh uh good place to go if, if you score really high on that um so the dark triad personality test what is it it measures uh it was coined in 2002 and first really first studied 1998 they first like started investigating it and then coined it in 2002 and there's a lot more research since then and it's beginning it's pretty popular and really interesting it's really basic you could measure it and you could learn a lot about yourself and other people and 
yeah, it puts things into perspective. Like, like we all know people who are, who have these traits. So the first one is narcissism. Second one is Machiavellianism. And the third one is psychopathy. So narcissism is uh, unrealistic sense of superiority, high personal value, pride, grandiosity, egotism, lack of empathy, inflated an inflated opinion opinion of oneself, a large sense of entitlement, which is going on these days. Uh, nature versus nurture. It's uh, it's it's about it's uh, there's I found that this it's kind of it's both it's both. So we're born people are born with it. And as well as shaped by their environment. That's what na nature versus nurture means. So about 7.7% of men and 4.8% of women have the narcissistic personality disorder. And about uh, close to 15% of the population have some sort of form of narcissism. It's a self people who are self-centered, vain, attention-hungry. And uh, this, this dark trad narcissism measures subclinical levels of narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. So it's not like... Uh, the clinical, you know, um, medical, psychological disorder, you know, it's, but, but it gives a great idea of, of, you know, what you have and what other people have and, and what people are like and narcissism. You could, you could see that a lot on, uh, uh, the new, new, uh, social media, like Instagram, Facebook, people just, uh, especially <laughs> I see a lot of women just post like, pictures of themselves over and over and over and over and I'm like what is going on I'm kind of I, you know when I first got on Facebook I was like wow look at all these beautiful women posting on Instagram and then like a little bit later I was like all right this is kind of I'm sick of it this is pointless what's the point you know and then now I'm, I'm just like I, I like to look at positive quotes and success habits and that sort of stuff and beautiful places. And I, I started getting rid of all those, all those uh, beautiful women that I, uh, that I used to follow. Because <laughs> it's, so, it's so stupid. I mean, it's the same thing. It kind of gets it's just dumb. So it's not doing anything beneficial for my life. And I, I, now that I know that a lot of them are narcissistic, maybe up to 90% of those Facebook models and influencers are around. Are, uh, uh, narcissistic so that's that's pretty interesting and they lack empathy narcissists uh, actually all three uh, narcissists Machiavellians and psycho psychopaths they all lack empathy uh, that's that's about it for narcissism and oh you know the dark triad so uh, if you score high on this you have like generally people have poor well-being poor well-being depression they're prone to depression antisocial they lie cheat steal bully sadist social antisocial and uh i said that huh? and violence so they're prone to those all right and machiavellianism which is interesting because you don't really hear about that much and it's kind of it's kind of you know uh i don't i just you just don't hear about it so it's people who manipulate and exploit others. They're cunning. They have absence of morality, higher level of self-interest. They deceive, manipulate. They're cunning. And yeah, that's it. So uh, I want to say kids who are bullied adopt this trait, if, if I remember hearing that correctly when I was listening to a podcast about it. And so, yeah, so that's, that's that. Machiavellianism is not 
good. So if uh, if you scored high on that, it's it's not so good. The the least harmful would probably be narcissism, because yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think they're all good. You don't want to score high on any of these. But the 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 most treatable are narcissism, Machiavellianism, Machiavellianism. Those two you could treat and reduce and improve if you scored high on those. Now the third one is the one that's the least treatable because it's basically brain damage, the brain's screwed up. It's psychopathy, psychopaths. They're antisocial, impulsive, selfish, callous, unemotional traits, remorseless, heartless. And it's, uh, it's not so good. About 1% of the population are psychopaths. This isn't subclinical. This is true psychopaths. 1% of 1%. So one out of 100 people you meet are a psychopath. And that's that's crazy because yeah uh, i also took some notes and it says highly selfish lacking emotion conscious uh i their brain has reduced connections responsible responsible for empathy and guilt it's the ventral medial prefrontal cortex that deals with fear and anxiety Oh, no, the pre ventral medial prefrontal cortex deals with empathy and guilt. And then uh, they also have reduced connections for fear and anxiety, fear, fear and anxiety which, is in, which is in the amygdala. Also, I found that the, from what I read, there's reduced gray matter in the anterior rostral prefrontal cortex and temporal lobes. You know, the one thing is we don't really, our brain just don't really fully a form until we're 25 the prefrontal cortex involved with impulsivity and risky behavior so like i was thinking if that's true we shouldn't even have the drinking age of alcohol unless you're like 25 i mean we're not even human fully formed humans until we're 25 years old that would change a lot of things maybe we shouldn't even allow people to drive until they're 25 i don't know there's just a lot of things to think about when you when you look at it from a scientific uh, perspective and so that's uh, so. What is it? Nature versus nurture? It's both nature and nurture. So that one's the least treatable and the worst one of the three, mostly because it's the least treatable. The other ones you can improve. And uh, I know myself. I, I think I was pretty narcissistic when I was younger. As but that also improved greatly as I developed more empathy and increased. Uh, probably those neural connections in the brain responsible for that and now like I remember sitting in in a plane coming home from visiting visiting my mom in Oregon and there was a lady to my right of me who was deaf and I just you know had a lot of empathy for her and I was looking at the older gentleman in front and just picturing myself at his age you know just flying on the plane and what it would be like and part of it too is with my job I work around with a work with a lot of people and I have to have empathy and I have to put myself in their shoes and and uh, be caring and and it's made me a better person though I, I have to admit though because you don't want to be unempathetic it's it's important to to be empathetic and and to see to see things from other people's try to see things from other people's perspective and and yeah so okay and then that's the dark triad so you could take that online i i took it and uh yeah you don't want to score high on any of these so i guess you want to try to keep it under 25 on each of those 
you could kind of categorize them into 25 point segments so 1 through 25 26 through 50 51 through 75 76 through 100 if you have like 90 you're in <laughs> in deep trouble so oh you want to this would be good to get your friends or loved ones to take this because a lot of times people are married to someone who has like narcissistic personality disorder who's or who's a psych, psychopath or borderline psychopath or who's a Machiavellian you know so you want to get one of your loved ones your friends to take this and if you're dating people don't date people that score high on this just you know, if, if if you give it to your friend, they take it and they score like 90 on psychopathy. You just take the number and block. That's what you do. <laughs> I've, I met a couple psychopaths. I, I definitely, uh, I know in the military we were, uh, it was kind of um, uh, glorified to be a psychopath. I mean, I remember taking a class in when I was 19 or 20 years old on killing. This was on killing, on dealing with killing people and the emotional just how to deal with it. I mean, not necessarily like shooting a gun and killing people. We train for war every day by shooting our guns and just become become kind of immune to that. And But just like how to deal with it from an emotional uh, level. And I thought that was probably the wildest class I ever took in my life out of all the school, schooling I've taken. I've, I've made it a point in my life to, to uh, take as much schooling and classes and acquire as much knowledge and experience as I possibly could. I just, I love to try new things, experience new things. And I, uh, I even drove a bus when I was in the, the military for, uh, for a, a year or two. And uh, that was pretty fun. I almost crashed the thing like two or three times. And it was pretty, it was pretty fun actually. Took it off-roading and yeah, went over curves with all the other uh, Marines in the bus and it was, I learned how to drive an armored vehicle, a V-150 amphibious assault vehicle, and that was that was fun. You learn how to do that, and I, yeah, I took classes. I even took college classes when I was in the military. I went to uh, it's in Washington. I can't remember the the college. I was a uh, took a few couple classes. One was an art class. One was a, a philosophy philosophy class. I remember the art class. I did a, a a project on bodybuilding and showing the artistic side of bodybuilding. I thought that was pretty cool. And I still find the human body and bodybuilding really artistic. I still think it's a, it's it's really it's really very artistic. Uh, so yeah, that that's that. Not to go off on a tangent there, but uh, okay. And if you took the test, now you know where you're at. So that which gets measured gets improved. So that's something uh, very important. So now that you know where you're at, I know where I'm at. It definitely can improve it. I definitely uh, I'm happy I scored low under 25 for all those. So that's that's good. And that about sums up the dark triad. Oh, something interesting. Um, Oh, you know, there's the internet trolls are high on psychopathy and Machiavellianism. Uh, there's a survey indicated trolling is an internet form of everyday sadism, which is sadism is people who get pleasure from others' pain. So that's that's not good. So it may be linked to bullying as well. So all the the people that are with those bad comments, you know, the trolls, they they are high in psychopathy and Machiavellianism. And 
Psycho, all right, I went through that. And there's a light triad, which is interesting. So they're coming up with a light triad. And that one's not quite as studied and popular, but it's, I'm sure maybe 10 years from now, it'll evolve into something really cool. And that's the light triad scale. That measures faith in humanity, the belief humans are all good, humanism, the belief all humans of all backgrounds deserve respect and appreciation, Kantianism, the belief people should be treated as an end uh, in the of themselves, not as pawns in one's own game. So, uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with all those. You know, I, I believe all humans are generally good, except for the very few. Maybe it's the one percent who are psychopaths that you meet even when you travel. Like the majority of people are good. I mean, re regardless of their race, color, creed, religion, you know, whatever, the, most people are really kind and good, except for the very, very few every now and then you'll meet. Maybe those ones are the psychopaths, definitely a 1%. And humanism, belief all humans of all backgrounds is of respect and appreciation. Yeah, I totally believe all that and or, uh, yeah, agree with that. And yeah, that's that. So hopefully in the future, we'll, there'll be a light triad test we could take. If there's not one now already, but I haven't, that one's not as popular. And, and maybe later on we'll talk about uh, more in depth the dark triad personality because you could go in depth with narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. I, I want to say there's like five aspects of each, five aspects of narcissism, five aspects of Machiavellianism, five aspects of psychopathy. That'd be cool to talk uh, upon uh, later on in the future podcast because I love, love learning about myself and other people and especially psychology and philosophy and just all that, all that stuff. I loved it. Sociology. I got my bachelor's degree in psychology because I, I found it really fascinating and actually first started thinking about when I, I first went to Cape Fear Community College in Wilmington, North Carolina, right out of the Marines 19, in 2002. And so I was like, what was I going to major in? And I was like, huh, I'm not sure. I'll take all the, the basic, you know, classes first. And then I was like, first thinking like sociology. Oh, I love sociology. It's very interesting. And then I was like, oh, psychology. Very interesting. And I was like, oh, philosophy, uh, Eastern religions. Ah, oh, very interesting. That's another thing. Eastern religions. We've got to do another, uh, another uh, podcast on the religions. Those are fascinating too. Hinduism. Uh, Buddhism, Jainism, all those, all the religions, uh, those are Eastern religions, all those like Eastern religions, Western religions, and that, that'd be another cool, cool show. And then eventually after, you know, I just went to, to uh, get my bachelor's in psychology because I really still didn't really know and it was kind of the easiest to get. And, uh, and then after that, went to, uh, uh, kinesiology, exercise science, and nutrition. Did that for graduate school. All right, and uh, now let's get to our next location, our next travel location, and that is in Cambodia. Cambodia is in the middle of, gosh, what is it? I think to the west is Laos and to the east is Vietnam, I think. I know the East is Vietnam, but I, ah, shoot, I hope it's I hope it's Laos, because it could it could almost be Thailand, but it's it's right there, it's it's over there. All right, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I need to relook at a map. There's so many countries, and it's a, it's a little confusing, but I went to Siem Reap to run a race on my birthday. I ran the 10k race 
called the Khmer, K-H-M-E-R, Empire Marathon 10K. And that was really fun. Actually, it was, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And uh, it's hard to find a race <clears throat> on your birthday, uh, let alone on the weekend. Because, you know, your birthday doesn't fall on the weekend very often. What, every five years or I don't know, something like that. And uh, so, yeah, I was lucky to find this exactly on my birthday. And I was really happy about that. And yeah, it's a little, it's a little emotional. I mean, as you get older, I, I feel like every year, especially my birthday, I have to deal with the emotions of getting older. And and um, one of the ways you do that is turn expectation into appreciation. So I start thinking, start getting sad that I haven't accomplished all the things and not at the place I want to be. So that's my expectation. But I turn it into appreciation and that changes my state from <clears throat> a negative, unhappy state to a positive state. And so I start focusing on the accomplishments and the achievements I have done. And that really helps a lot. So that was, uh, yeah, so I did the 10K. Uh, I stayed in the hotel in Siem Reap. You get to the airport in Siem Reap, which is northwest Cambodia. And it's a really small airport. And you go, you go through customs and immigration you get your visa they have like a line of, of visa personnel inspectors and you gotta pay money it's like it's like the reoccurring theme whenever i travel to these countries in southeast asia is money 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 they just look at me and they just see tourists and other tourists as dollar bills and money making machines <clears throat> that got annoying though i, I gotta say and so you, you pay for that, you're in the line, they, uh, you get that, and you, I went to the hotel, which was really co close to the airport, the, the town of Siem, Siem Reap, uh, S-I-E-M-R-E-A-P is really close from the airport. It might even be like five minute drive, I, I don't remember exactly, and got to a hotel, hotel's really cheap, maybe 50 bucks for a good hotel, and uh, got settled in and really didn't do much because the day before a race, you kind of just want to, you know, take it easy on your legs and not, not walk too much. So you rest them before. And uh, I got my, my number uh, for the race, got my t-shirt and they call it your packet where you get, you know, all your little, your, your number and your shirt and all that. They call it your race packet. <clears throat> so I got that and then uh, went to go eat and it was it's super hot and humid oh man it was really hot most of the most of the whole time there in south southeast asia in august and late july early august late july it was really hot and humid and so i walked a little bit and got some food i think i had some soup some soup or something nothing and i went to the grocery store so I got uh, all my little goodies that, that I like. They had a really nice grocery store, which is really... Okay, so this is one of the tricks. When you travel, if you want gifts, go to the grocery store. Man, they got so many cool gifts at a lot of grocery stores around the world. I mean, stuff like that says... Like, I'm in Cambodia, and I went to the grocery store, and they got tons of stuff that says Cambodia. Cambodia tea. They got, they got all sorts of chocolate and... You name it, they got some cool stuff there, and and you'll find like some of the best prices there, and you don't have to, like you know, bargain with people and you know try to lower prices, and you you just go and you just pay. It's 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 really nice, and so that was cool. And you know, so I 
uh, honey. Honey is pretty cool too. I like to try different honeys. I didn't mention though, I got this stuff called Mad Honey when I was in Nepal. It's from the uh, bees that go to uh, the rhododendron flower. And it's, it's pretty crazy, uh, the Mad Honey. Uh, if you get a chance, Google it. And I got like four jars of that stuff. I thought it was really cool. Not not big jars, but small jars. And luckily they made it back without spilling. And that was that was a really cool experience. Just just you know getting that and meeting the the beekeeper there. And I got my picture taken with them stuff and stuff. And that was that was really nice and exciting. And so yeah, so you go to the stores, the grocery stores, big grocery stores. I mean, you could do that in Europe too and you get like magnets and teas with the name of the country for souvenirs. So when I travel, I I go with a small backpack and I have an extra bag and I fill that bag with gifts for everyone, for my friends, family, uh running coach, you name it. I I, I send it to them, my you know, and for myself and I, I love giving, you know, the secret to living is giving and makes you feel good. Uh, like I was saying in one of the previous podcasts, it's definitely uh, something, you know, I, I love to do and encourage others to do as well. And the world would be a better better place if, if we just simply gave more. And, you know, not necessarily things or possessions, it could be time or, or kind words. And so from the grocery store, went back and uh, just chilled out for a while and got up early to do the race and the the race start the, so the race start is really cool it starts at right in front of angkor wat which is these ruins in angkor angkor is like is the capital uh city of the khmer empire and also known as yasajarapura and flourished from approximately the 9th to 15th centuries. The city houses the magnificent Angkor Wat, one of Cambodia's most popular tourist attractions. It's also a World Heritage Site, UNESCO. And that's where the race started, like right in front of that. So I was like, whoa, this is cool. So I got there, did a little warm-up. The race was only like two and a half miles from the hotel. You take a little tuk-tuk there, and you get there. And I didn't didn't really bring much just a little bit of water maybe a gel i take before the race and got there like i don't know 20 minutes before the start but i was just like kind of amazed at where it was it was really spectacular and then got in line i like to not get in line in the front row i like to get just behind the front row even though like for example if i win a race i still don't like to get in front it's just i feel like People are kind of cocky, especially, especially in these little kids, man. Like, these little 10-year-old kids, they get in the front and they'll like sprint 100, 100 meters and then they'll just like stop and you're just trying not to run into them and stuff. And just like, man, they got to learn. They gotta, someone's got to tell them or teach them you know, not to do that. That happens quite often, actually, in races. And so I got to the race start, lined up, and boom, the gun goes off and I don't feel great. Uh, I've actually felt better at the Kuala Lumpur 10K the week before, so I don't feel great. So my plan is to try to keep a consistent pace. So I actually kept a really consistent pace overall and didn't fluctuate much. So that really helped, uh, really helped with my placement as well. So I was with a pack of about five or six. And then after about a mile, uh, one one guy fades rather quickly, actually. He definitely started way too fast, apparently, or it didn't feel good because he dropped back fast. I looked behind him like, whoa, man, that's 
definitely not good, man. <laughs> and then uh, we go through uh, a ruin, like this this tunnel ruin. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. And then we go around this temple. And I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. But I, I could barely kind of see because when you're going so as hard as you can or, you know, almost, your blood flow is misdirected from your brain, mostly going to your working muscles and heart and that sort of stuff. So you kind of like get tunnel vision a bit. And I needed to focus on putting one foot, foot in front, one foot in front of the other. And so then there was, what was there? I end up uh, about halfway in, about 5K, 3.1 miles out of the 10K. I'm, I'm in third place just passing up the f- uh, fourth place guy and he started to fade and then uh first and second were up there quite a first place was really up there and was uh breaking off from second second was a little ways in front of me and i was running i was, I was like almost gonna give up because the i was in third place and fourth place was really a distance behind me he wasn't gonna catch me and second place was uh, seemed far it didn't seem like I was going to catch him, so I was like kind of mentally just kind of almost giving up. And towards the end, though, I started catching the second place guy the last last mile. I was like, oh, man, I, I should have picked it up. And it ended up, I sprinted in, I he beat me by like two seconds. I was like, oh, dang it. As you know, one of them, and, and first place beat me by like 40 seconds. So that's one of the biggest regrets. I'm going to have to say that I didn't feel good and didn't win the race. I wish I would have won. It would have been a cool birthday birthday uh story but i still got third place so i i I can't be sad about that and i got to stand on the podium with the awards and take pictures and uh, be famous for for you know a few minutes and that was really fun i i I can't lie i love attention people love attention but i don't do stupid things for attention i try to do positive things for positive attention and that one of the the ways that I do get attention is by you know running races and doing something beneficial for myself and being healthy, living a healthy lifestyle. And so that was that was fun to do to to experience that. And I got the bronze medal. I actually liked the color of the medal. And so that was the end of that race. And from there, uh, went did jog back uh probably about three miles to the hotel changed and took a took took to go visit the temples for the next few hours and the first temple was right in front of the start and finish of the race they had a 10k race a half marathon which is 13.1 miles and then a full marathon which is 26.2 miles it was freaking hot and humid close to around 80 degrees with high uh, thousand percent humidity (laughs) uh it was it was it was a yeah like a furnace a sauna so i went to the start or the actually yeah the start and the finish were uh angkor wat ruins are and that is really a cool place it's uh part of it's in Angkor it's called Angkor Wat what was Wat from the last podcast remember what Wat means Wat is temple and so let me check out my notes real fast so Angkor A-N-G-K-O-R it's actually pronounced Angkor 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 that's how they pronounce it uh, so that that's a Khmer word meaning city so Angkor Wat is Temple City. Uh, Angkor, Angkor is a corrupted word of Nokor, which derives from the Sanskrit Nagara. Sanskrit, ah, oh, interesting. And then, um, yeah, I'm reading a couple uh, 
terms and phrases that they have in the pronunciation. So the area of Angkor has, or Angkor has many significant archaeological sites, including the following. There's a long list. I'll just go through a few of them. It's Angkor Tam, Angkor Wat, Baxi Cham Krong, Bantie Kade, Bantie Samre, Kabal Spien, Prekon, Preko, Terrace of the Elephants, Terrace of the Leper King, there's there's tons there's three four five six seven, it's probably 50 i don't know it's it's there's a lot there's it's a big area so that yeah i only went on three main ones the really uh top rom angkor wat and bayon temple bayon has all these faces uh top rom has these big trees growing out of it and Angkor Wat is like the main temple the main one if if you google Angkor Wat or Angkor these that one pops up so the first one I visited was Angkor Wat and that was absolutely spectacular it's a temple complex in Cambodia it's the largest religious monument in the world on a site measuring 402 acres originally constructed constructed as a Hindu temple dated dedicated to the god Vishnu for the Khmer Empire. It was gradually gradually transformed into a Buddhist temple towards the end of the 12th century, and it was built by the Khmer king. I'm not even going to try. Uh, yeah, I will try to pronounce it. Surya Varman, Surya Varman II in the early 12th century, and yeah, breaking. Uh, it was dedicated to Vishnu the Hindu God and it is uh, top of the high classical style of Khmer architecture has become a symbol of Cambodia it's it even appears on the national flag that's how important it is it's the country's prime attraction for visitors and this goes into more the the architecture which is not really important so oh yeah like I said Angkor, Angkor Wat means what temple city or city of temples so that's that's really cool and it's definitely a, a, a city of temples uh angkor wat according oh this is cool check this out so you ever watch ancient aliens this is what it reminds me of so according to the legend the construction of angkor wat was ordered by indra to serve as a palace for his son Prechaket mialea according to the certain 13th century Chinese traveler Zhao Daoguan, some believe that the temple was constructed in a single night by a divine architect. Doesn't that get you thinking about ancient aliens and aliens and that sort of stuff? So yeah, you know, maybe aliens built it. I don't know, but <laughs> that'd be that'd be cool if they did. Eh? So that, that was cool. I found that and it was built, I want to say, uh, 27 years, I think it said. <clears throat> 27 years. I don't know. It, wasn't, it didn't take that long to build. Maybe around 27, 30 years or so to build. So, so not, not too long. And, oh, here's, here's another. Uh, in the mid-19th century, the temple was effectively rediscovered by the French naturalist and explorer Henry Malhot who popularized, popularized the site in the West through the publication of travel notes, in which he wrote, One of these temples, a rival to that of Solomon and erected by some ancient Michelangelo, might take an honorable place beside our most beautiful buildings. It is grander than anything left to us by Greece or Rome, and represents a sad contrast to the state of barbarism, barbarism in which the nation is now plunged. 
so yeah that that was that was pretty cool i guess it was pretty magnificent to even to all the people that were there so that was that was cool and uh yeah like i said before it, it was hindu and then transformed to buddhism which is fascinating because i was talking about last time how the relationship with hinduism and buddhism how siddhartha gautama the founder of buddhism was a hindu and in uh hinduism one of the avatars of let's say vishnu i think it was vishnu one of the, one of the hindu gods was buddha so that was that was really cool and uh yeah so there's really a interesting relationship between those two and there, i have tons of pages on there's religious history there's you know, it's a religious temple basically and i don't need to talk about all that if i go into that we're going to be here like five hours and i don't think you really want me talking for five hours because i think i will bore myself in uh by that time <laughs> but i found one thing that's pretty interesting if you want to get to like kind of almost like a conspiracy theory but like alternative kind of stuff is so uh in egypt it, it, this relates to angkor wat uh so in Egypt, they have the pyramids and, you know, they, they date it uh, currently to not that old, maybe a couple thousand years. But there's other people that actually date it to closer to 10,500 years ago due to the weather erosion as well as an alignment with the constellation of Orion, the exact alignment during uh, exactly 10,500 uh, to 10,450 B.C., that's where they point to a single date <clears throat> and which is interesting because the same thing with Angkor Wat the buildings point to an exact alignment with the constellation Draco the serpent and that points to the exact same date of 10,500 to 10,450 BC so that's that's pretty interesting I found that that fascinating and the Sphinx also dates to that same thing. And from uh, the little notes that, that I have, it says, In Egypt, uh, the, on the Giza Plateau, the celestial map of the sky region with the Orion constellation is plotted. And it talks about 72 degrees to the east. There are Angkor, Angkor temples which reflect the sky region where the Draco serpent constellation is. Orion rises in the south while Draco descends in the north the cycle is about 13,000 years long then orion descends and draco rises this cycle is everlasting and people know about it thousands of years ago they knew about it thousands of years ago scientists scientists have ascertained that during this cycle the three stars of orion's belt always slide along the meridian they are either located above gaining altitude over the horizon or below losing altitude altitude over the horizon at the moment they pass the meridian the lowest point of the cycle corresponds to 10,500 BC, whereas the highest point may be observed after 2000 AD. And so that was really interesting. Uh, so both uh, the Giza Plateau and the Angkor buildings, so the pyramids and Angkor Wat, point to a single date of 10,500 to 10,450 BC. And this is like, what's so special about this date? Why did the ancients endeavor to mark it? It had to be important. They built these huge, huge, you know, if this is true, of course, it had to be important 
these are huge monuments. I mean, I would say Angkor Wat or Angkor, Angkor, the whole area would be the eighth wonder of the world. And it, it, I want to say it was in the runnings as one of the seven new wonders of the world uh, almost 10 years ago. So I would put it as one of the wonders of the world. It beats, in my opinion, it beats Chichen Itza and, and uh, maybe another place too. But why did the ancients build that? Build that and uh, this this uh, notes uh, I took from this page says pro uh, probably approximately every 13,000 years certain global scale changes take place on the earth such as cataclysms, earthquakes, floods, volcanic eruptions such changes are somehow connected with the, the Orion Draco pendulum hence the ancients marked a zero point for us the time of the last cataclysm they marked the cycle having constructed monuments in Egypt and Cambodia and that we could look at the sky and determine the zero point and being aware of the cycle could assume when we should expect subsequent global changes the history of humanity can be rewritten hundreds of times however stars in the skies are beyond Archon's control hands are too short. Uh, I don't know what that means, but that's still fascinating, whatever uh, that whole concept. There is point zero, there's a timestamp, and there is a guideline owing to which the global disaster may be prevented. What else is needed? That's fascinating. So if that's the case, then we might be... Uh, that, that could relate to that whole uh, 2012 uh, end-of-the-world sort of stuff where... Um, because we're getting close to that uh, 13,000 year cycle right now. If uh, we're at 12,500, tw about 12,500 years. Well, maybe we're about 500 years off. So we're not that long. I, I don't think uh, most of us are going to live to 500. But you never know. You never know. Uh, we may live to 500. You know, uh, with the advent of nanotechnology, our lifespans are set here to double and that's supposed to be in the 2030s. And by 2050, when the singularity comes, we might be able to extend our lifespans uh, indefinitely. Uh, there's two outcomes for that uh, singularity, which is uh, when artificial intelligence reaches the intelligence of humans and surpasses it exponentially. Either uh, There's two, two things that are going to happen. You could probably guess them. One, we'll become immortal. Two, will become extinct. So those are the two options. So, And that's, uh, that's that. So Angkor Wat was really cool. I got to walk around that, walk around the temples, got to see all the beautiful carvings and stuff. And there's really cool things there. I saw this uh, secret. Uh, it's, it's like a secret shadow. You shine a light on one of these little pillars that look like little window, you know, bars in a window, but they're little pillars in the window carved out of stone and if you shine your light on that you could see the side of uh you could see the Angkor Wat temple on its side in the shadow it's it's really cool how they built that I mean that's just one of the things I'm sure there's so many cool hidden secrets I mean, feel like Indiana Jones walking through that place and that was probably one of the most spectacular places I've ever been and I'm looking forward to going back there definitely again because it was so amazing uh, I, I actually kind of liked it more uh, yeah I think I did like it a little more than the pyramids in Egypt to be honest it reminded me a lot like Petra Petra and Jordan that's uh, on the wonder of the world uh, list and that's a huge place I mean I if you look at the trails I was just looking at the trails comparing Petra and Jordan to 
Angkor in Cambodia. And so one trail is like 10 kilometers long, 6.2 miles. So you go out 10 kilometers, back 10 kilometers, like 12 miles. And Angkor or Angkor is about 12 kilometers or about five and a half miles wide, about five and a half miles by two miles, something like that. And it's really close. So I think, I think uh, they should, uh, they should <laughs> re-vote for the, one of the, you know, the seven wonders of the world. And so, uh, so Angkor Wat was really cool. Walked around there, took a bunch of pictures and you're just kind of in awe and there's, there's monkeys as you go in. It's really cute. There's little baby monkeys playing and jumping around. And the cutest thing is seeing a baby monkey try to jump. It's so cute. It's, it's really cool. All right. So that that was uh, Angkor Wat. And if you haven't been there, I highly recommend it. And uh, one word of advice, you can't buy a ticket at the gate. You have to buy it outside of the gate. So that's uh, definitely learned, uh, learned that. And I mean, technically he can. I had the security guy I had to pay him, and uh, he got me a ticket. So I snuck, got through. Uh, snuck, didn't sneak in, but he uh, he got me. I should have told him it was my birthday. Maybe they would uh, probably charge me more money. I don't. Know. <laughs> it seemed like I was so annoyed with money and money. You know, at that point, two and a half weeks going in on that vacation, or not? Yeah, it's vacation trip that that sort of stuff it wasn't just like oh i'm just hanging out it was more like i'm doing things every day i'm learning i'm experiencing i'm um you know just that sort of stuff not just like laying around by a pool like that um i'm running races just trying to experience everything see everything as much as i can i walk every day until my feet hurt and then rest a little and then walk more and then after uh Angkor Wat had a took took take me uh probably a couple miles to Bayon. Bayon is really cool. It's this temple with all these carved faces. It's it's something out of a movie. You get there and like what? I want to say either Tapram or Bayon was was in uh one of those movies. I can't remember which one, but that was really fun to walk around there and Check out all that. And then after Bayon, B-A-Y-O-N, went to Taprom, T-A-P-R-O-H-M, I believe it's spelled. And that was really unique in that these ancient uh, structures had huge trees growing out of them. I want to say, don't don't quote me on this, I want to say they were like 500 years old and the trees were like 200 years old. So they started popping out of the temples a couple hundred years ago. But they were huge and really unique and, and cool and definitely uh part part of it was actually uh falling uh falling uh, crumbling because of the trees and and damage from just time in general and so that was really fun to see took a bunch of pictures and then uh after that went back grabbed my stuff took a little rest and headed back to the airport to the airplane that was uh definitely one of my favorite experiences and places uh, of the trip then and, and uh yeah that in india I'm, I'm starting to get tired now then what are we going on 55 minutes oh man it's 11 p.m i gotta get up at 4 a.m and go to work oh all right i gotta i'm done here all right guys let's see uh next one not sure what's on the next one but you're gonna love it you're gonna like it you're gonna love it whatever it is all right thanks for listening and uh let's see let's get some uh music to to go out let's see here we go 
All right, guys, this is Mark from the Super Travel Experience Podcast, and thank you for listening. It was another uh, beautiful day. Thank you for listening. Have Be great, do great, and have a wonderful day. Good night, guys. Take care.